This is an ABC podcast. So I be written in the book of love. I do not care about that book above. Erase my name or write it as you will. So I be written in the book of love. The Somerton Man story starts in 1948, when an unknown man was found dead on an Adelaide beach. He was immaculately dressed, and in the pocket of his suit pants was a tiny scrap of paper torn from the final page of a book of Persian verse, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. And that scrap of paper led to a frantic search for the copy of the Rubaiyat. When that book was finally located, it led to the discovery of a mysterious nurse, Jo Thompson. For the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, I'm Fiona Ellis-Jones, and this is The Somerton Man. A man came forward to say that he had found a copy of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, and it did have the last page torn out. Um, so he handed it into police. He said it had been thrown into no the back seat of his car. Of who she was. She could be very sociable and up one minute, and then she would turn into a bit of a hermit in the next moment. And I was fortunate enough to purchase a 1947 phone book, and each night for about a half an hour, or when I had a day off or any spare time, I'd go through a few pages. Today, we look at what's transpired after the deaths of Jo Thompson and her son Robin. The storyline I find hard to follow, even aspects of the case. It's really like 10 degrees of unlikeliness and more. That's Rachel Egan, the academic who'd become obsessed by the identity of the man on Somerton Beach, tracked her down in 2010. Professor Derek Abbott was disheartened when he got to the end of his search and found both Joe Thompson and her son Robin had died. Of course, this is starting to get more tenuous now, but I thought, well, you never know, you can't leave any stone unturned. And so I um, tracked down Rachel and interviewed her. And that's how it all began. So this Agatha Christie mystery is surreal. You have a body on a beach of an unknown man who has no labels in his clothing. You have a nurse referred to as Jestin, who's my grandmother, who is possibly a spy. Did she poison him? We don't know. Rachel's the daughter of Robin Thompson, the man widely believed to be the love child of the Somerton man. Not that she had any idea about this growing up in New Zealand. So I grew up in Wellington until about the age of nine. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. And I guess I always felt a sense of disconnection with my family. There was always a sense of a missing piece or a missing link. And I had a, a sense of difference. As it turns out, I was adopted. I am adopted. Rachel's adoptive parents were estranged and in the early days there had been a lot of violence in her home. So as a young adult, the thought that she had another family was exciting. In part because my adoptive mother had had such dysfunctional behaviours and it was a relief to, to know that 
I wasn't in fact related to her. And it also gave me hope for the future to think that somewhere out there I had another family. Rachel's birth mother, Roma, traced her daughter down by sending a letter to social services in New Zealand. Roma was living in Brisbane at the time and Rachel flew from Christchurch to meet her. And I found out that she had been a dancer with the Australian Ballet Company. And I also found out that my birth dad was called Robin. You'll remember the Somerton man had exceptionally well-defined calves, the type of calves you'd expect to see on a ballet dancer. Well, Robin became an extremely accomplished ballet dancer. He was so good, in fact, he was signed to both the Australian Ballet Company and the Royal New Zealand Ballet. A story I've heard is that his mother one fine day grabbed him by the hand and took him to ballet classes when he was young, which is not a common thing back in those days. To find out that my birth parents had a ballet connection was very surreal. To be a dancer had always been one of my dreams. Mother and daughter hit it off, and even though Rachel was in her early 20s, Roma asked her to leave New Zealand and move to Brisbane to be closer to her, and she did. By this stage, Roma and Robin had long separated. So my birth mum um, told me the story. She met my birth dad when she was at the Australian Ballet School. And then my birth dad, Robin, got a job with the Royal New Zealand Ballet Company. And she went over to New Zealand with him. And then I was an accidental conception and they didn't have the means to keep me. After a period of time, I think after about 10 years, the relationship between my birth parents broke down and they divorced and moved on to be with different partners. Rachel only met her birth dad, Robin Thompson, once. He picked me up from a flight that I was on and we went for a walk and he was very sweet and charming, he was gentle, he was funny. He was also hyperventilating. Um, he was quite nervous, but he, he, was, he was lovely. And that was it? That was it. The total time I spent with, my, with Robin was 45 minutes. We did speak on the phone countless times. He wrote me letters, I wrote back to him. Robin expressed that he had regrets about the adoption. He had a lot of guilt. He found it very confronting to see me. But Rachel did meet many members of Robin's immediate family, including his mum, Granny Jo. Jo was very engaging. She could be quite dramatic. She could be melodramatic. She could be morose. Her house was very carefully structured to the way she liked it to be. There were certain rules that you needed to follow. Joe Thompson's name had been wiped from the Somerton Man files years earlier. While people puzzled over her identity, the only connection to Joe was that phone number in the Rubaiyat. Just think of the cop Jerry Feltus poring over the 1947 phone book for half an hour every night, trying to track her down. But it was a mystery that would continue to fascinate the media and amateur detectives for decades. And every time the investigation into the Somerton man gained traction or the case started garnering media interest, Granny Jo would pack up and move. 
Friends say Jo shifted dozens of times, even in her later years. She'd go cold on friends and family, often cutting them out entirely. And that's what she did to Rachel, cut her out. One day, I just received a letter from her giving no explanation but saying, I can no longer have contact with you. Um, it was quite confronting, it, it was hurtful, I didn't understand why. It was around the same time that Jerry Feltus finally matched the number in the Rubaiyat and turned up on Joe Thompson's doorstep for a chat. So that's a possibility that it was all too confronting for her um, and, and too hard. I, I didn't feel hurt or abandoned. It, it was just part of Joe. It, it's, it's how she operated. And I, I learned from other people too that she could run hot and cold with her relationships as well. One of those people was Joe's friend Greg O'Leary. Greg met Joe when she was in her 50s, a mature age student at the university where Greg was teaching. She turned up as a student of mine when I was teaching social science. So much of the Somerton Man mystery rests with Joe, but even the people who knew her find her hard to describe, like Greg. I guess Joe cultivated a slight sense of mystery about herself. Um, you couldn't always get a clear, straightforward answer to what she did yesterday or what she ate for breakfast. By the time Greg met Joe, her son Robin was an adult, living and dancing in Sydney. Joe was friendly, a bit quirky. Um, you know, she had an odd sense of humour that was engaging, but um, it was it was quirky, and people liked it and. Uh, she was generally well well liked among the students that I met her with originally, and she was 20 years older at least than most of them. She attracted uh, friends easily. She was um, a small, very small woman, um, but gregarious, and uh, she could be good fun. But despite Joe's outgoing nature, Greg says her friends had to get used to her sudden disappearances. Uh, she would also disappear for weeks, months out of people's lives and, uh, and we would start asking each other where she might be and what was going on. But she, yeah, she had periods when she kind of withdrew from the world a bit, I think. She, uh, you know, she could be good fun, but I think she had a, a sad side to her somewhere. Greg can't say whether the disappearances coincided with the Somerton Man case being in the news. He always knew of the case as something that was part of Adelaide's history. But his friend never mentioned her connection to the story. And it was only years after Joe's death that Greg finally heard about it. Uh, no, in Joe's lifetime, I never heard um, Somerton Man discussed uh, with in her company. Um, it was only some years after her death that uh, I, I learned of the possible connection. When Granny Jo disappeared, Rachel didn't know about her connection to the case either. She'd actually never heard of the Somerton Man. The first she heard of it was when Derek Abbott sent a letter to her biological mother, Roma, Robin's former wife. He told Roma he was investigating the case and suggested the mysterious man on the beach could be related to somebody Roma had danced with in the New Zealand ballet company. So the letter arrived and Roma was very excited about it. She read it quite quickly 
and in the letter it referred to someone called Justin, a nurse. And Roma looked at me and she said, I think Justin is your grandmother, Granny Jo. But Rachel was sceptical. After I read the letter, I just thought this was all a fanciful hypothesis of Professor Abbott's. It was like something that could have been made up in some fictional novel. Derek Abbott travelled to Brisbane to meet with Roma and Rachel. Derek's style of operating with investigation is relentless. He's like a, a bloodhound. Does not give up. Ever. But he also wanted something else, something pretty personal. Rachel's DNA. I guess being asked by someone to show and tell your teeth and your ears and to give up your DNA could be considered a little unusual and confronting. By then, however, I was captivated by the case and I wanted answers. But first, dinner at a French restaurant in Brisbane. We went out together to a French restaurant and despite that being the first time we'd actually met in person, he was very easy to talk to and we seemed to have some sort of thing going and, and had established a rapport pretty quickly. My impression of Rachel was that she was very quiet. Uh, I've subsequently found out she isn't, but <laughs> she was very quiet that evening. Of course, she's beautiful and etc. But I think it was our commonality that I think drew us together. The first impression I had of Derek was that he lived up to his profession of being an academic. He looked like a typical professor. He was very into detail. He was also very engaging. And from that night, there was a new romance in the Summerton Man saga. By the following day, um, we had decided we were going to get married. It all happened remarkably fast. Pretty quickly, we were fairly efficient. We met and went out to dinner one day and we decided to spend the rest of our lives together by the next day. In hindsight, that's very strange, but uh, now, almost 10 years later, it just feels so natural. So let's get this straight. For years, Derek Abbott investigated the Summerton Man case. His inquiries led him to Joe Thompson's son, Robin, which in turn led him to Joe's granddaughter, Rachel. He fell in love with Rachel almost instantly and he proposed. I said yes because I was in love with him as a person, in love with his mind, and we seem to have a lot of similarities, even though we are so different. In the early days when we first uh, announced our marriage and told people the story, people would say, I just married her for her DNA and we would laugh about it. So, uh, yeah, that is, that is funny. Quite apart from the jokes at Derek's expense, not everyone was thrilled about the engagement. Rachel's biological mum, Roma, thought it was rushed. Roma, like a lot of people, I think, felt that our relationship had progressed way too quickly. I think she was worried about the substance between us and if there really was a relationship as such. She was worried that Derek had married me for my DNA. 
the impact that that had on my relationship with my mum, it was hard. It had a negative impact and I felt like I, I had to make a choice between two people. Roma declined to be interviewed for this series. And they, and they danced and danced and danced. A decade on, Rachel and Derek Abbott are still married with three young children. Granny Joy's our uh, grandma. Grandma. And Mrs. Summerton is Solon's grandpa. And we don't know who it what is. Dad is trying to use his smartphones to find Mr. Sullivan's family and figure out what his real name is. The kids go to ballet class every week, a passion shared with their grandfather, Robin, and their grandmother, Roma. OK, come, come over next to me then. We'll watch Violet first. Come over here. But is it something in common with their great-grandfather too, the unknown man with the calves of a dancer found dead on Somerton Beach? I essentially think about him every day and I wonder every day, literally, about the truth and where I fit into all of this and where he fits into all of this and how we fit into all of this as a family. And even if Mr S has no genetic connection to me, he is still part of the fabric of my family and the family that I've created with Derek. And so those answers to us are inherently important and answers that we really, we need to find out and we need to find out the truth, whatever that truth may be. Because I have thought about that perhaps the truth may not have a fairy tale ending and it may not have a happily ever after ending. The truth may be something that's very confronting and it, it may reveal things that we'd rather not know on one level. Whatever the case, those questions need to be asked and those answers need to be given and we need to learn the truth and then we need to learn to live with that truth, whatever it may be. The DNA is either going to say yes or no, that he's related or not. And you know, if the DNA says not related, in one sense that's a relief, but it's not the end of the story, because we can now take that DNA and put it on a genealogical website and find who his real relatives are. So the journey still continues, whatever the answer is. Next time, we conclude the story of the search for that man, dead on an Adelaide beach 70 years ago. I'm Fiona Ellis-Jones. Our executive producer is Helen Thomas. Editing and production by Sophie Townsend and Jess O'Callaghan. Sound design and mixing by Martin Peralta and Ryan Pemberton.